This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Well, today I would like to welcome a guest to Dreamland who is familiar to most of you and all too familiar to some. Jeremy Vaney is with us today, and Jeremy Vaney is going to be with us a good bit over the future, in the future, because he's going to be doing Dreamland once a month. On the last weekend in every month, Jeremy will take over as host of Dreamland. And over the years, uh, that slot has been filled by Jim Mars, William Henry, and I believe a couple of others early on, but I don't really recall. In any case, it used to be that I did three shows a month and a another host, guest host, did the fourth. And then when... Um, William stopped doing it and did his own show, and then Jim came in, and then Jim left and then passed on. I just was doing four shows a month, which is great, and I love doing four shows a month, and I would keep on. But there are some very special voices out there. Some of them are really very extraordinary, and Jeremy's is one of them, very frankly. He's a completely different viewpoint, a completely different gestalt, a completely different approach from me and but strangely enough despite that he's also very good <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're gonna have a lot of fun with jeremy uh and uh, when and but today we're gonna have a lot of fun with jeremy in a completely different way because he has written another extremely annoying but extremely fun book called aliens the first and final disclosure and I am looking at in my hot ha- hands for a copy which is emblazoned with the uh, phrase "not for resale." So I, I will this be on all of them, Jeremy, or or just just on this these few that you've done? Because you say in here that you only have fifty readers. So yeah, no, it just 50- goes to the it just goes to the people I can't trust. So. Oh, I see. Oh, I, well, I understand that perfectly. That that would make sense as to why I would have one because I would be crazy if I I don't even trust me. And I, so why would you? Uh, okay, I am I'm going to read from the back of the book while pretending to remember your curriculum vitae. Uh, Jeremy Vaney is the author of several books, including Urgency and um, I am to tell you this and. I am to tell you it is fiction. Uh, I think we've we've certainly done I am to tell you this on Dreamland. I don't know if we did Urgency or not. It might be before my time. Uh, he's had a lifetime of mysterious experiences, ranging from what are commonly called spiritual to what are con- unfortunately called alien. This book ties them all together in conversational language, and shows us where to look next. Um, uh, what it actually does is it takes us into a labyrinth of mirrors with a guy who can actually laugh about being trapped in a labyrinth of mirrors with the rest of us. And I'm very impressed with that. And on that note, welcome to Dreamland, Jeremy Vaney. Well, thank you, Whitley, for having me. Thank you for... I know you claim that you've had other hosts, but I'm going to say you're passing the torch. Passing the torch, Whitley. No. Um, Not yet. 
Thanks for having me on. I should apologize to anyone. My video feed for your show will not look as bad as my video feed does now. It's This is just for you, special for you, Whitley. Well, it's very strange. I don't understand why your video feed looks like this. Don't move around so much. You, you, don't, you don't blur. In fact, talk okay. about moving your mouth, and maybe maybe it won't be so blurred. Uh, I'll do my we best. Were, we were we were laughing about this earlier. I actually I learned to do this uh, when I was a kid and was very interested in ventriloquism. But when I married Anne, she said, "No ventriloquism." I said, "Well, why not?" She said, "Because all ventriloquists are boring." Uh, she she. <laughs> She, she, that wasn't. That is not true. There are some extraordinary ventriloquists in this world, but it became completely obvious to her after I showed her my act that I was not one of them. <laughs> so she said, "Well, if you get a ventriloquist dummy in the house, fine. I'd like. I'll burn it." I said, "Okay, then no ventriloquism. Okay, but this is not going to be ventriloquism. Jerry, Will, Jeremy, Willie really is going to allow me to talk for myself." Um, this book, uh, the first and final disclosure, let's, let's start by talking about disclosure in general, since disclosure is going to happen, um, uh, when in about six weeks, six months, six years. Yeah. Or yeah. So let, something like that. Let, let's, <laughs> let's talk about, let me read something here from the book. Uh, let me, yeah, from the first, okay. Since it was published in 1998, the paradigm clock has been reset three times. The new time setting of 11.58 p.m. is intended to inform the public and the press that disclosure is near. This is from the paradigm clock disclosure wire, um, compliments of Stephen Bassett on July the 17th, which is not long ago, except it was July the 17th, 2000. So, Jeremy, where are we? (laughs) Well, uh, to my mind, where we are is another round of someone trying to control the narrative and make it about um, ostensibly aliens, but also because the people trying to control the narrative now are actually the military, oddly enough, um, trying to provoke aliens while not actually saying aliens. So um, to my mind, it's it's just another uh, narrative. It's just another ruse to say, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And before it was all self-contained within ufology, um, to do that for people to, you know, make money off that and all, all the stuff we all know and love. Um, but now with the military actually doing it, I think it's about funding. I I think they're doing it. I mean, it may not be just about funding, but I think there's a bigger purpose. It may even be about military funding and, uh, trying to control a population that they see has taken off in being controlled by QAnon, for instance. Like there's certainly a very large, dare I say, mainstream audience for people who want to engage with um, like an internet message board and its accompanying blogs to try to like figure out the world 
And the military has been perfecting those types of psyops forever. So now is the best time probably to roll that out and see what they can do. And just as an example of the military funding thing, I give a couple in the book. I mean, I just don't think it can be a coincidence that that we see these um, uh, these UFO footages or UAP footages um, coming up out of the water and we're told about they can come up out of the water and zip around Navy vessels and all that. And what they want funding for uh, is to build things like, um, you know, submarines that carry submersible drones that can do just that, come up out of the water, zip around, all of that sort of stuff. So I think, I, I think it's what is evolving here, to my mind, is a case of the military saying, look, we don't know where this is from. We're not saying this is alien. We're not saying it's foreign. We don't know what it is, but we know that we must defend against it. So give us money for these, you know, to build these things. You know, the fact that the military is involved is, and it is primarily the military, it's the Defense Department that's involved. Uh, there's nothing about any of the other departments. For example, uh, why not the Centers for Disease Control? Uh, why has there never been any government-funded studies of the of the close encounter witnesses, because at least none that have ever reached the light of day. Maybe there have been some secret ones. I, I don't know. But there are all kinds of ways of going into getting into this. This is a rock ribbed assumption that this is aliens from another planet. It never even goes past that. But, you know, we're going to play around with that a lot in this show, and Jeremy plays around with it a lot. It's fundamental to the way he, he does this. Jeremy does not sit on assumptions like the alien hypothesis or crypto-terrestrials or uh, mysterious visitors from other dimensions. He doesn't sit in, on any of those stools. And that's one of the reasons Annie, my Annie back there, just loved Jeremy's work and uh, in general and she because he, he keeps the question open. Uh, now... Uh, the military, I noticed after 2017 was when QAnon really took off. And it, it's interesting that what happened in 2017 was that suddenly the public, which had been basically snickering about rectal probe jokes, uh, compliments of The Simpsons and uh, 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 other shows for years, suddenly thought, wait a minute. If these things are buzzing around in the sky, what about my rectum? What about my kids? And they're lying to us. And what else might they be lying to us about? And there was this little piece of clickbait out there that said, yeah, they're lying to you, all right. And uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, the lies are, are maybe mega. Maybe there's a lot more. Maybe QAnon makes some sense. Maybe Pizzagate is real. I mean, we go from we go from lying about UFOs to believing everything is a lie in just one single breath. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I guess I hadn't thought about it that way, but uh, that could be true. Um, so, 
I don't know. The, the, the QAnon thing is so even more than that, you know, as I sort of talk about in the book, like I, I think QAnon goes hand in hand with the pandemic, um, you know, toward later <laughs> with the pandemic denialists and they sort of become this smorgasbord of people who just deny reality. And, and it could be because of the old tried and true. Well, if, you know, we just don't know what anyone is, uh, and authority is telling us is true. Therefore, we might as well just believe our own research, as it were. Um, but I think that that is all a psychological smokescreen for uh, the world is collapsing around us and we feel helpless and scared and we're getting angry. You know, like I really think that's sort of what's motivating us. I, I think you may be right about that. I think that the, I mean, it's obvious the way the, this insane weather is going all around the world. Uh, if it's if it's not raining twelve inches an hour for two days, uh, there's no rain for two years. I and mean, you know it's really, and you know it, it's it's a mess, and it's pretty much all happening as it was expected in Superstorm, by the way. And of course, when Superstorm came out, it was debunked and la- laughed about. I mean. How could a flying saucer nut and Art Bell possibly say anything true? But that doesn't doesn't that feed into the narrative in a way because it's it's like uh, uh, we turn out to be right, and Al Gore gets the I think the Nobel Prize for being wrong about his about gradualism that we had time when we don't have time we have no time whatsoever, and we didn't have time when he got that Nobel Prize either, right and. And, and now the you you see these things that the glaciers are melting four times faster than expected in Dreamland, and everyone's saying, "Well, how could that be?" You just pick up Superstorm, and you'll see how it could be. It's been like that in the past. This is not new. This is the way it unfolds at this point in an inner in, in in the end of at the end of an interglacial, and with the added problem that all this carbon dioxide has been spewed into the atmosphere by us instead of volcanoes, which is how it usually happens. Uh, fortunately for us, volcanoes haven't added to our problem, but they may any day. You never know. Okay, well, that's sort of on the side. Uh, what is the military going to do with this, do you think? Where are they going to take it? Because they want to take it somewhere, and you have to ask, you know, what do they want funding for if there's nothing here that's dangerous? Or is there something here that's... Well... Jeremy, you tell me. Sure. We are here. (laughs) Uh, We're dangerous. And, you know, just... Let's just think about this for a second. I mean, one of the the theories as to why Putin invaded Ukraine this time is that he has cancer and is dying of cancer. And so he wants to what? Not better himself, not get right inside... You know, I mean, essentially, he's threatening to nuke the world or blow up nuclear reactors that would uh, uh, essentially nuke the world. And uh, this is one man, you know, with, quote unquote, power. So if that's true, and it does, I don't know that it is that he is dying of cancer and all, and this is the result of that or partially result of that. Um, But Certainly it's a theory, and the reason it's a theory is that it could be true, and it could be true because this is the way 
that when we're so disconnected inside, we react to our own mortality, you know, to our own lack of control. And if you can puppeteer a government, well, that plays out in bigger ways than, you, you know, just you or me. Um, but if that is the space where we're all at, then, you know, the enemy is us, you know, like it, it doesn't even matter that we're in a global climate crisis. Um, we're still threatening to nuke the world. It, do, it, it doesn't matter that, that we're... Or look at the Chinese. They're, you know, they're, the, center, the center of their country is dying of thirst. And what are they concerned about? Throwing their money and, their, and the lives of their boys at Taiwan. And yeah. screwing up and their this economy is the, way it's, the same way Russia screwed up is for nothing. It's like this is the way insane. it's sort of always been. Yeah, well, I mean, this know, is sort of the way it's been at least in my lifetime. And uh, so I think if you look at the evolution of things to claim we're at war with to get funding for, it's gotten vaguer and vaguer, right? And so the last incarnation of that was the war on terror which means nothing. It's the war on an idea. So anything can be terror, right? But now it's even vaguer than that. It's, we've got to study these unidentified aerial phenomena <laughs> and go to war with phenomena or build up some arsenal against an unidentified, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I just think that that's so perfectly vague and and yet at the same time is already captured by the popular imagination that you don't even have to sell it. You just have to say, okay, this is where we're going for a good portion of the public to go along with it. And you're right. I mean, it's like here we are at the end of the world and we're still concerned about money. You're right. You know, and uh, building exactly. up arms. Uh, it's and, just crazy. And you know what we're at the end of is something for free dreamlanders. We got to take a break. So um, free dreamlanders. Listen up, do what you're supposed to do, and don't be a free dreamlander anymore. I would love it if there were, was no free dreamlanders at all, because everybody was still here, but they were all subscribing. And then maybe I could pay Jeremy some small fee for his effort that he is putting into this show. Um, I'm, I'm not talking about a big fee, I'm, Jeremy, don't worry. I'm, I'm talking about maybe 10 bucks, but... At 25 at the outside. But anyway, we'll be right back. Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful. A subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us. Because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it, and I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion, listen to it, read it, 
Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. Where is the unknown country? Is it out there in the stars? Or is it also somewhere else? Is it in us, in you? Unknown country, join us today. Go to unknowncountry.com right now and join us. Join the questions. Join the search. Join the adventure. Unknowncountry.com There's no place like it in the world. We're back. We're talking to Jeremy Vaney. His new book, Aliens, the first and final disclosure, which is a really deep dive into some very, very interesting ideas and meanings and approaches to the close encounter phenomenon in general. And Jeremy is a close encounter witness. I don't think you call yourself an alien abductee, or do you? <laughs> well, in the book, I, I, I go back to my roots and start off as an alien abductee again. Because I think I, I used to think that or suspect it, you know, way back in the probably high school or college. Um, well, high school and college. But I, I, honestly, reading Communion uh, really helped me to not have to keep thinking that. <laughs> Uh, and see that there's so much, so many more possibilities. Um, so in the book, I, I start off, you know, the sort of joke of it is I start off as an alien abductee, going back to my roots, since that's what everyone since 2017 understands. Um, but then as I'm talking about being an abductee, I'm actually talking my way out of being an abductee and sort of showing how it can't be true. There can't... You can't, I can't be an alien abductee because there aren't aliens. Um, and I think I make a pretty good case. Or actually, I think nature cultures, more to the point, make a good case for us. Um, that al The term alien is sort of an invented, westernized, disconnected word. And it, it, it's not, it signifies our own uh, unhealthy uh, disposition in the world more than it does any reality out there. It's a disconnect from a very old and complex mythology that it goes all the way back to earliest times, a, a mythology of things seen that we don't understand or things that enter our lives that we don't understand. Yeah, entities. I'll give you an example from my own life. This happened... Uh, it could have been, it wasn't like, it, a year ago, February. I live in Santa Monica, and it's, there are a lot of, near where I live. Unfortunately, I don't live in a very beautiful part of Santa Monica. I wish I did. But there is a very beautiful part nearby. And I was walking down a lovely street, which is tree-lined and overhung by trees, taking an evening walk. And I heard this bzzz overhead. And I thought, well, that sounds like a dragonfly 
you know, it's February. What could it be? I looked up and maybe at an altitude of 10 feet, maybe 8 to 10 feet. It wasn't high at all. It was just almost so low I could touch it. There flew past what appeared to be a little man wearing a little overcoat and buzzing along on little wings, like Hmm. very fast-moving, like uh, dragonfly wings. And I thought to myself, that is the weirdest dragonfly I've ever seen. And is that a Burberry or an Aquascutum? And it went on off down the middle of the street toward the ocean and simply disappeared into the distance. Now, I would submit to you that that was not an alien. and But I would also submit to you that I'm talking about the fundamental experience of the of these unknown entities and beings. And I'm not going to ask you what you think it is or was, because you can't answer that question and neither can I, and no one can. And the, the only thing I can say is maybe it was in my head and maybe it wasn't, but it was still a nice raincoat. (laughs) (laughs) Even though quite small, obviously. (laughs) And then I have to ask, it was a sunny day and it was, Uh, a bright, clear evening. So why in the world did he need to wear a raincoat at all? Um, Where are we, Jeremy? If you say they're not aliens, so definitely they're not aliens. And I have a tendency to agree with you. And I'm trying here to open a big door. A big door through which a little man flew one afternoon in late afternoon in February two years ago. Can you just take it from there, or am I being bad? Sure. Do you, you want you want me you want me to tell you what they are? Uh, <laughs> I want you to tell me whatever you want to tell me. After all of that, because I've read okay. Aliens: The First and Final Disclosure, and I think you're going to have some interesting stuff to say. Well, uh, the, the first thing is you had said before, you know, that I'm not married to any idea, and you went down a list of ideas I'm not married to, and one of the ideas I'm not married to is the thesis of my book, <laughs> which I make clear in the book. that it, So what I'm going to tell you uh, the book says and what I am currently thinking this is about uh, is that there are there is an interdimensionality to it, um, but that it is intimately connected with us, that whoever these beings are, are both autonomous, but also sharing our same space interdimensionally, however that works out with science, I don't know, but that they are both us and not us at the same time. Uh, And that when they speak to us, um, often they use archetypal, you know, they speak to us in using archetypes and using symbolic language that bypasses our conscious sense of self and speaks to us directly. Um, probably in the hopes of waking us up into our own sense of wholeness, because us waking us up is essentially them also waking up because we're their unconscious baggage at this point. Um, if, if that's all making sense, uh, then let me add this layer of crazy to it. And this, I do sort of know from experience that the universe per se is alive, is a living being. And, uh, the universe wants us to remain in the universe. 
And so if you wake up out of the universe, if you wake up into this universalness, I mean, into this multiversalness, um, and, and it's not that there's something bad in your way. It's not like the universe isn't secretly your enemy because you are the universe. It's that uh, it, it takes a certain finesse to wake up out of it. So in other words, like with just take spiritual light and light experiences. Um, these happen with the death of self. The death of self is the death of thought. The universe is thought. You are thought. You are a thought construct. And when that self dies and there is nothing, that nothingness is consciousness that transcends and includes thought, transcends and includes the universe. And the universe will let you do that. <laughs> so provided that you come back with novel experiences, talk amongst your friends, and build out this sort of imaginal architecture um, that becomes, you know, archetypal realms and dream stuff. But it doesn't, the universe, it's not really in the universe's best interest for you to die and not come back, uh, for you to have an ego death and remain this enlightened, eh, you know. So to do that takes another level of uh, not trying. Let's let's really confuse it because if you try, that's just more thought getting in the way. So if you can take, if you can see what I'm saying there, and superimpose that over multi-dimensional, you know, beings who have already achieved something like that, already are out of their own sense of the universe, their universe, um, have woken up into a multi-versal uh, sense of self. Then they're looking at us and they're going, "Okay, you're a part of me. I'm a part of you. I know it." You consciously don't know it. And how do I speak to that? Because anything I do to get you to believe me is going to ultimately end up just another story, another thought, another belief system for you, because yours, you want to go on as you are, as a sense of self, you know, in the universe and all that. And you want to feel powerful and you want to feel like you're special and all that, all these trappings of interacting with this other, right? So how does the other authentically and usefully speak to us. It can't be a direct conversation that we can have some control over, if that makes sense. Uh, so I think somewhere in there, if this, I don't know if this is making sense. I hope it is. But um, uh, something in there is more, ironically, realistic to, to what we see with experiencers and what we know to be our experiences than like aliens coming down from another planet to do galactic nafta <laughs> you know like like that just ain't it well why are you so sure because um you know i mean i did get raped and i still have the scar tissue from it it happened it was a physical experience and there is something in my ear uh, yeah wait a minute is it gone nope it's not gone there it is it's something in my ear that has been an attempt has been made to remove it and it's a physical object it's there. Uh-huh. Uh, so something happened. Something physical. Well, here's and, the thing, Willie. And, and, and yeah, no, the, no. The, they're, they're... the UAPs that they've made videos of are there. So where are we right. going? And we're going to find out in just a minute, uh, Free Dreamlanders, we're going to take another brief break, and we shall return. This is a brief excerpt from an interview with two contactees who had an 11-day close encounter experience and are now willing to speak about it, really, for the first 
time. To hear their whole interview and many others, subscribe to unknowncountry.com. Here's the excerpt. Did you see the man's face? Yes. Uh, actually, that one is very clear to me. It was kind of longish, and uh, he didn't look... He didn't look completely human, but he, because he had very, very thin hair, almost non-existent, but he was young, I believe that it was kind of blonde, and he was very tall, like six, at least six feet, and he was so thin that he looked kind of strange. And what happened then? Well, he wanted me to to go with him or to stay with him. He wanted me to stay with him on the ship. And I'd been married for six months, and I wasn't about to go running off to stay on the ship. Now, surely you want more. You must want more. And there is more, not only this contactee interview, but many others, many of them just as extraordinary on unknowncountry.com, plus everything else that we offer, my audio books, the meditations, the talks on the key, William Henry's wonderful revelation show in its entire run, Anne Streber's brilliant and magical mysterious powers, and so much more. Hours and hours of listening pleasure. Learn from the meditations on the site. Really learn because they're real and they're valuable. Subscribe to unknowncountry.com right now. Go to unknowncountry.com. Click on the subscribe tab. We are running very low on new subscribers now, and that should not be. It should not be happening. So you do it. You go there and you do it today. There's a new world coming if we can take it. What does that mean? The first part of the message is if we can take it for ourselves on our own terms. The second part of the message is can we bear the newness and the huge expansion of human consciousness that is going to be involved? Can we take it, a new world. It doesn't mince words. It tells the good, the bad, and the ugly like it is, and it leaves a message behind. Can you do this? Do you want to? Do we have an alternative? Right now, at this point in history, mankind is either going to get a lot bigger or not. I choose to go forward. I choose to live for and in the future. I choose the future. A new world. We can take it. Available in hardcover, softcover, audiobook, and Kindle. So, yes, there is a physical aspect to it. Um, in fact, uh, I think there has to be a rational aspect, a physical aspect. There has to be some sort of anchoring here in some sense. 
Um, because I think the part that is, is right that you've talked about is our need to perceive them to be here. You know, the sense that, that they need us to sort of literally pull them through in some way. And I think that's true. I think that's true individually and I think it's true collectively, but I, I think, um, you know, I've got the quote from that one, you know, UFO contactee case where the policeman, uh, talks to an alien and says, you know, what do you want? And he says, we want you to believe in us, but not too much. I, I think it really speaks to that. Um, so here's how I would contextualize what happened to you. Because, and this is easy for me to do in a way because I just watched your Travel Channel uh, documentary on, on the visitors. And, um, and I'd like to talk about that a little bit because I think it's great and gets to the heart of what we're talking about in two ways. Uh, for this, it's the night that you had the rape and uh, you were afraid that they were coming from, for your mind. And, you know, you'd said, oh, you're going to, destroy a beautiful mind or whatever the quote was. I mean, that night seems of all the stuff that's happened to you seems spectacularly terrifying and specifically also terrifying for you as Whitley Strieber, as a writer, as a man. I mean, your mind is everything, but also being raped is as a man in society then at that point, at least, completely unacceptable yeah and also, so i think when yeah i don't know i just said it, it turned out that to everyone except me it was hilarious which was awful well okay and, and there's that but i mean at the time i mean i i think that it is an imprint on you and on the culture at large through you that this happened so did it literally happen yeah it literally happened but is it about that literal physical happening? I don't think so. I think it's about the effect uh, it has on you in waking up to this being in your life and keeping it in your life. And also, you know, oddly, wanting to keep it in question, not wanting to rush to an answer and get it out of your life. No, and then this was, translates to your audience. She was, she was saying, yeah. don't, don't do that. Don't keep it. In, don't, don't conclude. You, you, you have memories, but you don't have certain experiences and you don't have any pictures. There was no video, so you don't know. You don't have any, any physical evidence, so you don't know. But, of course, now I have the implant, and I had the, the rape happen, too. So but go ahead. Yeah, well, so I think that, that that's sort of what it is. It's a thing that you can't deny. It, to a person who would want to deny it and bury it and keep it unconscious or just say it was a nightmare or just say, you know, whatever, all the excuses that we come up with for ourselves, um, they have an answer for it. And the answer isn't an answer in the sense of this is why we're here. This is what we're doing, but it's an answer in terms of this is mystery. This is a mystery. This is probably mystery with a capital M. It's something you're going to be engaging with a long time. And even if everyone laughs it off, you can't deny it because you know what happened to you. And if you have an implant, uh, you know that you've got an implant. And if you have it taken out and it turns out to be like glass or something, even that doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what it is. It just matters that it's there and you have a memory of how it got there. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of the trickster joke is that it turns out to be something else. But that's because the function that we give it isn't real. 
we want it to be something alien and obvious, a tracking device or whatever it is. But what if it isn't? You know, what if it is simply there for you to not be able to deny yourself your own experiences so that you engage with this and continue making this conscious for everybody, including yourself? I want to turn back to the book, to Aliens, the first and final disclosure. I'm going to read a passage from it, and I'm interested to see what you have to say, because this is a this passage really stopped me. It was really fascinating. Fascinating book, by the way, folks. It's got a lovely, fun sense of humor about it. Jerry, Jeremy takes himself extremely seriously in a very funny way, so, which is cool. Believe it or not, I'm not here to tell you psychic abilities are unreal. They are real. I have experienced them. In fact, one better... I went through a short period of having spontaneous visions that sound suspiciously like remote viewing. In fact, two better, one such vision was a bird's eye view of a gray alien rounding a bend in a metallic-looking corridor. He was walking with a bit of a hop to his step in my direction. The moment he stepped directly in front of me, he turned and stared fiercely at me until I faded away. Now, here's one thing. The hop in his step. I have many letters that specifically mention that hop. And so are you telling me what level of reality did this unfold on? Did you, were you in a corridor on a spaceship and his spaceship and he came hopping along and he was pissed and you faded away? <laughs> That's happened? the magic question. I don't know. I mean, it's literally just that. I mean, these when I was going through this period of these visions, um, one one of them was literally I was from the you know just seeing from the point of view of a sidewalk as like bike and car tires go by and people walk by. There's no sound. I can't move my sense of perception. I can just see, and that's all I saw. And it's for like I don't know, ten seconds, fifteen seconds, and then that's it. Another was a bird's eye field of a, a view of a field. Others seem to be like I'm sitting across the table from, well, one was a military person who's yelling ostensibly at me or in my direction. One was watching a family as, you know, mom and dad made breakfast for the kids before they went off to school. I mean, just innocuous things. And then this. <laughs> so are these real events in the world? Are these some uh impersonal imagination that i've briefly tapped into or was shown uh i i really can't answer that i i don't know my tendency of course is to say that there was no alien in a spaceship um so i don't know what that was well you know i've had the same sort of experiences and my tendency is to say there was an alien in a spaceship so but I mean, I would my my uh, take on it is this: neither one of us is wrong, and neither one of us is right. It's not just that it's in question, but that is literally where we are with this. Neither one of us is wrong or right, and I, you know, I could even get into the Gettier paradox, which shows that nothing is definite in this level of reality. 
nothing. Well, so, I mean, I guess the the angle that I take on that in terms of aliens not being real um, is that the again the sense of what it means to say an alien, like wherever these beings are from, even if they're from another planet in our universe, that doesn't make them alien. That the thing of alien is a divide between you and I mean, nature cultures would say family. Everything is family because they understand themselves as interconnecting with all. One would think that that since that is our natural sense of being, and since the universe is life, that life elsewhere uh, would also, you know, I don't know if it's at their pinnacle, but sort of near there, would at least be interrelating that way. Uh, which would answer why, for instance, they care um, that we blow ourselves up or they care about climate change or any of that in the, in the, you know, like aliens who are just so foreign to us and could be enemies or adversaries um, wouldn't care to do that, wouldn't care about that stuff and probably wouldn't survive themselves to get off their planet in the first place. You know, um, you, you touched on something very interesting a little while ago which is the this idea that you've sort of turned returned to of them needing us to somehow make themselves real and that they are a dependency in a way they can't be here without us and maybe that's their real motive for wanting us to survive because if they lose us they lose access to the world as we see it how do you respond to that? Does that make some sense or not? Yeah, I think that's possible. And I also think it's possible that um, the less uh, perceived anyone is, the vaguer we become. Like we are all a bunch of perceivers perceiving each other. And so the more, for instance, we strip down the trees, kill off the animals, you know, go down the list, the less the sort of vaguer we become. And I almost wonder if that's not part of the reason that we become angry and disconnected and, and unconscious as we're going along here when we should be getting like more conscious and more smart in our decision-making and all of that. It's going the opposite way. And I wonder if it's because if you kill off enough beings around you who are perceiving you to be here, <laughs> uh, do you become stripped of, of aspects of yourself? They're no longer here because those specific beings and species perceive in a specific way. And if they're not here, that way isn't here. And so if you translate that out, uh, does that work multidimensionally as well? You know, that's a very interesting thought because uh, it could be that, that their anger and their negativity, which seems so palpable at times, has to do with the fact that they see in us a death wish. I know they do because I've had that encounter that i guess uh knowledge from them that that as far as i can tell they understand all the things that are happening on this planet as being pretty much because of population too many people in other words the planet's dying because it's too many people and they're jostling for space and that makes them warlike and they're liable to blow each other up and there's but at the same time if we're gone, then in some funny sense, so are they. Our relationship with them is gone. And with that, their reality in this, the context of this world. 
So they're, I, they're on our side and they're also furious at us. I want to, there's something I want to go back to from that documentary about you. Sure. <laughs> that it, okay, great. So the, to my mind, the reason that that documentary is actually very powerful is because you strip away the images and the reporters narrating for you and all that stuff. And what you're left with is a man sitting in a chair telling the story of his life. And also some witnesses who can back that up, um, either directly or in the case of Deb Cobble. She's had things happen before you guys even knew each other uh, yeah. to her. That sounded suspiciously like what happened to you. So this validation. But the sense of storytelling from you is real. And whatever my you know problems with hypnosis are, the fact that you've got these hypnosis tapes from decades ago where you're screaming in terror and you never released those tapes back then and you're just releasing them, you know, for now country and for this documentary speaks to your authenticity because that would have backed you up back then. That would have been spectacularly shocking to hear back then for everyone who was saying, oh, who is this guy? This is nonsense. But you never did that. And so you put these things together and I think it brings you to a place where like, oh yeah, it cuts through the BS of, uh, of like, right, this is real. And you don't get that with documentaries and with supposed abductees who have like footage. You think you would. We keep clamoring for footage. We keep clamoring for that piece of, of physical evidence. We're talking about their physicality. We keep clamoring for that physical evidence and that data that goes beyond anecdotal data. But the reality is the realness of this lives somehow in the storytelling and in the sharing of our lives honestly. It lives in that honest communication person to person. That to me is not an alien from another planet. That is something much deeper. And I, I feel like, um, like to me, that documentary just cut through all, the 2017 until now BS. <laughs> Like, you know, I'm not even a big Roswell guy anymore, but hey, I'm back on board with Roswell because because it just seems like, oh, yeah, that's right. Roswell, like what from 2017 on, it's like they want us to have amnesia about the very topic that they're trying to take over. Like, don't pay attention to anything that happened prior to this Tic Tac footage and this Nimitz thing. Everything else is, uh, you know, we're not even going to regard that. And somehow it worked on a level, even for me, to where I woke up and went, oh, yeah, right. This other stuff is still in question, is still, you know, real to that extent. But that the phenomenon at large really is communicated through, uh, I don't know, through, again, honest storytelling. I guess that's the best way I can put it. Honest storytelling. What an interesting phrase to use. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Well, I think that there's a depth that, well, for instance, I mean, they try to tackle the high strangeness aspects and, you know, they did the best they could in the time allotted to them, I suppose. And it did get to a lot of it. Um, that's honest storytelling. The not honest storytelling is, um, you know, the surface level, I saw a thing or I had something happen to me. And now I'm going to tiptoe around what that was and tell you what I think you will find acceptable. 
and I hope you don't laugh at me. And when you do, my response will be to obsessively try to get more footage and stuff to go, no, I know what I saw. This is real. And now you can't deny it. And like everything you've got is just like a stoplight or something in the distance. None of that stuff matters. You know, what really matters is a quote, heart to heart is, you know, someone like Whitley Strieber sitting down and looking in the camera straight faced and saying, this happened to me. And the this is so dynamic that it can't really be captured in words. It can only be felt. There's something about it that can be felt. And it it touches that core of almost the myth-making core in us, where these things are more real than real. When we get back, we are going to make Jeremy tell us about his own experiences. Why is he even here? I mean, he's here for some reason. He's here because he, not because he's never had experiences. Jeremy mentioned uh, communion. and But something drew him to this whole field which he has been in for years he says at one point in the book that once you have a paranormal experience you never forget it and a lot of you would agree with that like me i remember what happened to me in 1985 like it was yesterday because it busted up my whole worldview and we're all in that same boat every single one of us who's had a close encounter experience seen a ufo or a lot of other things. There's remote viewing, there's OBE experiences, there's uh, near-death experiences. You've all, a lot of you have had all kinds of different things like this. And when we get back, we're going to go deeper with Jeremy Vaney into just why he is here and when this all started, aliens, the first and final disclosure, an easygoing, fun book that just happens to be pretty darn serious and really very intense we'll be well free dreamlanders were saying goodbye subscribers we're going right on from here you've been listening to dreamland be sure to tune in again next week dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers our theme music is the o of pleasure by ray lynch Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.